0: If you guys are a blues rock fan, this is your episode. Hey everyone, it's Randy Holsey here with Backstage Pass Radio. I am joined this evening by a blues rock guitar prodigy that calls Cypress, Texas home. He has been playing live shows with such acts as Grand Funk Railroad, Robert Cray, and Chris Daughtry. He has earned the distinct honor of being named one of the top ten guitarists in Texas under the age of 20 And I have all the levels dialed in on the mics here in the Crystal Vision studio, so stay tuned. We're going to pick the brain of the one and only Clay Melton when we return.
1: This is Backstage Pass Radio, the podcast that's designed for the music junkie with a thirst for musical knowledge. Hi, this is Adam Gordon, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Make sure you like, subscribe, and turn alerts on for this and all upcoming podcasts. And now, here's your host of Backstage Pass Radio, Randy Halsey.
0: Clay, welcome to the studio, man. It's great to see you, and glad you came out this evening. Hey, Randy, thanks for having me. We're having a, a cold beer together, so this is uh, one of the rare, and I think of all of the podcasts that I've ever done, I've only shared a beer with... One guest, and it was the Oz guys that I was telling you about earlier. Uh, Iggy and Todd were here from the tribute band, Oz. And uh, Iggy drank all my good beer. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) But but you brought the Shiner, so welcome, man. It's good to have you. Uh, We've been chatting back and forth a little bit and uh, trying to get this lined up. So we're finally here. Let's rewind just for a quick second. You started playing guitar at a very early age. What age was that that you started playing? Well, I know I was 10
2: when I was riding in the car with my father, and he put on All Along the Watchtower. And I just I remember that moment still. I was just hearing the guitar solo, you know, when he goes to the slide, and it's real psychedelic. I couldn't even tell it was a guitar. I was like, what sound is that? It's like, it's a guitar. Sure. Yeah, you know, it's Jimi Hendrix. And so I was just really infatuated with that music. Right after that, I just wanted to hear whatever I could from him. And so I had this, like, Toys R Us guitar. That was, you know, it's an electric guitar with a speaker in the middle. So you yes, don't need an amp. You just right. turn it on. It had maybe like four strings on it, okay. you know, and none of them were tuned. But I got this uh, Hendrix CD. It had some of the aisle white performance. And I would just, you know, try and sound out his solos on like the G-string only, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> and just because it sounded cool. And so I did that for about a year and it probably sounded pretty annoying. And 11, I got my first like Strat copy okay. guitar. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Or would you say that you're still a Hendrix fan to this day or? or, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So it's my understanding that your dad's a player as well. Is that is that correct? Is he a guitar player as well?
2: He actually started taking lessons at the same time I did. Okay. So we would go Saturday guitar lessons and and both, you know, have our 30 minutes and stuff like that. And so we would get to talk about it afterwards. And, you know, my dad's been very present in my career in music and always super supportive. Both my parents my dad, whenever I started playing around, you know, by 13, me and my friend were playing like crawfish boils and, you know, neighborhood block parties and stuff. A lot of classic rock, CZ Top, you know, and then when I started around 14, I started going out trying to get into, you know, blues jams and stuff. And my dad would, you know, drive me there because I couldn't go on my it. own. And
0: so I'm always thankful for that. But yeah, yeah. yeah he plays. Did, did he really progress with the guitar? Well, of course. Well, I'm not going to assume anything. I'm going to let you answer the question, but did he, did he progress? Like you, you guys both started kind of at the same time. Did he progress like you?
2: Well, I was was a kid that could spend hours in my bedroom (laughs) and I have two sisters and he, you know, working his uh, job. So But, I mean, he had fun. You know, we both had fun together. And so it made it really special for me looking back. You know, I really appreciate that. And he still
0: plays and and everything like that. Yeah. I was going to ask you kind of when I started thinking of what can I ask Clay if he was an influence. But I'm sure he's an influence because he's your dad. But he was not a, like, my son and and, uh, myself, I had been playing for years and years. And he didn't ever gravitate to an instrument like all the guitars around the house he had no interest in it and I never pushed that but one day he picks it up and kind of like you you start monkeying around with it yeah. and then you like oh I kind of like this but I never force that on him so he might say well my dad was kind of my influence because I heard him playing around the house not that I'm a great guitar player but just the sound of music of is course, what yeah. I'm talking about right but it sounds like you and your dad kind of started at the same time so he wasn't an influential player to you that got you into it mm-hmm. correct is that a fair assumption or or am i off base there no we were learning at the same
2: time okay. but it was i mean more important maybe probably just the fact that he sh- shared music with me yes. and uh saw what i got excited about and um showed me other music i could be excited about steve ray Vaughn and he loves music and is so excited as a listener as well and I think that was more important because I was just so in love with him. And that's why, you know, it wasn't a situation where um, because we were learning at the same time, it wasn't as a player that I was, I wanted to do what my dad could do because we were both learning at the same time. But, you know, never had, was told go practice, you know, (laughs) because I just wanted to do all the time. And I don't know if I would have been as excited if he hadn't shared all that music with me early on and, you know, given me something to really work towards. Absolutely.
0: It's interesting as I talk to you that your story's a little like Joe Bonamassa's story, right? His dad was a, a guitarist. Lenny was mm. his dad's name, uh, was a guitar player, and you know Joe at an early age gets the first guitar, and then he just like kind of, you know, Lenny said, you know, at some point in time I just couldn't play with him anymore. I couldn't keep up with him. He because he progressed so fast, and a lot of it goes back to what you were saying. You know, my dad had a full time job; he couldn't spend eight hours a day in the bedroom, locked away, playing the guitar. And that was Lenny. You know, he drove a truck and, you know, Joe could go to school and then come home and play until he went to bed or whatever. So he had a little bit more time to practice. And I think as a kid, there's more elasticity in the brain. So young people learn and retain faster and longer than older people do. You know, we don't, you know, there's that old adage, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. There's a little bit of truth to that. You know, you, we, we just don't learn the same way as a 10-year-old kid or a 15-year-old kid. I mean, you're, you're like a sponge at that age, right?
2: I, I totally
0: agree. And you are, I mean, it's just how teenagers get so tied to the music
2: that they're listening to as teenagers. I mean, yes. you're going through a lot emotionally. And then, you know, like you said, there's that elasticity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been teaching guitar as my primary gig outside of playing for the last five years. And, you know, one thing that I think is so great about watching kids learn is, I mean, there's zero fear of not being good. You know, it's like daring to suck, to put it a little plainer. And that alone, you know, that kids will just go into their bedroom and not play well for the first six months, but do it all the time. It's the time spent really shows, you know, and you get so familiar with your instrument. You know, it's it's like a true love at that age. Absolutely.
0: I don't disagree with you there. Now you said he's still an active musician and he likes to play still. Is he is he a gigging musician or is he kind of just a you know I play around the house around on the patio kind of guy? I mean, we're, yeah, he we're, picks at home. Yeah, okay, I got you. And there's nothing at all wrong with that, right? I mean, you don't have to be a gigging musician to be a musician, right? Yeah, I mean, the ones that do gig is because they love it so much that the gigging's fun, you know? (laughs) If if you don't like doing that stuff, then it's a very hard road to do anyways. Well, and you've committed to life as a musician too, so you don't have a choice. You have to go gig, right? And he he has his day job that he goes to every day. So when you become a popular performer at such a young age, How do your friends treat you? You know, like as we get older, I think people revere or look at people their age a different way than kids are impressionable. Like so Mm -hmm. as a teenager, like you're out playing gigs and whatnot or people or your peers and your friends treating you different. Like or or do you even know? For me,
2: whenever I started playing a lot 15 on, it's a mix of all that, you know. I have the musician syndrome of a, I'm never good enough, yeah, you know, that I I'd always it. need to practice. Yes. It's not that I don't like what I'm already doing because I, I love to fall in love with what I'm creating. And I have always felt confident enough to if I can, you know, enjoy myself, then why not share it? Right. Absolutely. At that age, I, I was just very convicted, you know, through had strong convictions, you know, even entering high school that I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I hadn't done all the math and figure out how that would work out at that point. But uh, it did, you know, I made decisions to not, you know, hang out with friends or friends that I'd known for a long time. And so, you know, you have friends that are like, what are you doing? Are you just playing music all the time? I was like, yeah, I guess I am. But, you know, so there's that as a kid. You're like, how much time do I devote to this? But for me, it was just this is what I want to do. So I didn't have the, you know, kids just thought I played music growing up. So it
0: wasn't anything over the top or not. It's interesting because I have people that I've had on this show that, that knew at a young age, this is what I'm going to do. I'm jumping in with both feet, mm-hmm. and I'm either going to sink or swim. And I'm going to devote everything I can to being a, a singer-songwriter and writing songs and playing music for a living. And I think you have to have that commitment, or you're just mediocre, you're just half-assed at, at your craft. It's like being a painter. I mean, if you're not going to paint... The best you can. I mean, why even pull out the paintbrush at the end of the day? It's kind of the way I see it. True. I mean, it's a challenging
2: industry. So, I mean, it does weed out the people that, you know, because it it takes so much work to keep it going. Right. Yeah. But I think that for me, it was performing live that hooked me. Uh When When I first got up there, you know, I mean, of course, I was nervous like everybody is. But every time, it's always been, as soon as we start playing, I'm having the most fun I've ever had.
0: All the fear goes out the window at that mm-hmm. point in time. So I was like, yeah.
2: what, what do I got to do to do this all the time?
0: <laughs> I agree. It's it's euphoria, right? It is. And uh, and even Steven Tyler from Aerosmith said, of all the blow that I've ever done in my life and all the drugs that I've put in my body, nothing is better than the high of being on stage. That's pretty powerful. That's because. <laughs> you know we we all know that heroin and all those things are very addictive substances and they wreck lives so we know mm-hmm. the the power of those things but to say there's something more powerful in the music that's a pretty uh interesting statement it know? is
2: And in another light i think you see a lot of people chasing it outside of when they can't perform performers that because it is such a high you know i mean playing to big crowds over the weekend, then you get home and it's, you know, you and the dog yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, just making it by, you yep. know, it, it, it's a, it's a lot of highs, a lot of lows.
0: Yep. There was a song written years ago about that life. And it's the, it's, it was a song written by an artist that I'm, he lived it, you know, it was a Jimmy Buffett song. And he said, um, you know, I, I go off on the weekends and I play these big venues and I'm away from family, but I really yearn to be back home with family on Monday. So the song was called Come Monday. That's Mm -hmm. what he was talking about, you know, being away, doing the life of a musician, and then always yearning to be back home with the dog and the kids and all that on Monday. So lots of songs came out of that life. Now, you were born in Louisiana, but found your way to Texas. Where in Louisiana were you born?
2: Lake Charles. Okay, Lake Charles, Louisiana. My dad grew up there, was born there as well. And we moved back and forth between Texas couple times when I was younger my mother's family's from uh, Galveston they immigrated here pretty early on and so we ended up staying here in Houston from a time I was probably I think eight and so I've got roots over there with his family Lafayette, Baton Rouge, Lake Charles and then um, family here in Texas.
0: Do you remember what age it was that you uh you left and came to Texas permanently?
2: I think it was around seven or eight.
0: Seven or eight okay. But there was no stops in between there and here. Like, you didn't go, like, Lake Charles by way of Kansas City to to Texas, right? It was just...
2: There were, trying. I think, two moves back and forth. Lake Charles, Houston, back to Lake Charles, back to Houston. Okay.
0: yeah, All right. And is the... I guess there's still family back in Louisiana? or uh, mom and dad there? Are they here? My mother's uh, here in Houston. My... Um, Fathers and tumble, okay. so all in Texas. I do have family back in Louisiana
2: okay. and a couple of cities. Yeah,
0: yeah. I wanted to get into some conversation around the guitar specifically. When you started playing, it sounds like you learned on a little a, a little guitar, four string guitar with the the amplifier built in. Mm-hmm. But when you got your first quote unquote real guitar. I think you mentioned that it was a Strat knockoff. Yeah. Is that right? So it was an electric guitar that you started out on, essentially. You didn't start on an acoustic. Is that correct?
2: Correct. Yeah, it was a Strat copy. It was a Stag. It's a, I don't know if they're still in business it's or so anymore. I, since then, I played that for several years, and then I ended up with a uh, Fender and um, a real Strat. So I ended up taking that one apart to figure out how it
0: worked. Okay, you, know, you <laughs> and were one to of those guys. Together. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's really not a whole lot to them, actually. That's you know, what I found out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I guess back then, when you when you got that first stag, were you taking guitar lessons then, or did you start after that, or before that? Like, what what's the chronological order, so to speak? Yeah.
2: It, um I guess 11 I started taking lessons At the same music shop That is now out of business It's called The Guitar Shop I started taking lessons there For about I think six months Just on my own And then I moved to a second shop and took lessons for about a year and a half. And that's where I, my dad started taking lessons with me. I guess he was like, oh, he's really into this and okay. he's going to stick with it. So yeah, yeah. that's when we started that.
0: Now, you said the guitar shop. Is this the same guitar keyboard shop on 59 Chimney Rock? <laughs> or where was this one at?
2: This was uh, right around from where I'm living now. It was uh, Cypress, North Houston, and Jones Road. Okay. yeah.
0: Was there a particular style then that you were focusing on? Or were you really just learning... The fundamentals of the guitar, you know, the cowboy chords and, you know, what what were you learning? I guess, you know, you, you got to start with the foundation first. But oh, yeah. I didn't know if there was something you were working towards specifically something. And maybe it was the Hendrix solo thing. I don't know, but I'll let you speak to that.
2: <laughs> I was so into, yeah, Hendrix and Stevie Ray, Eric Clapton, which was actually my first real concert. It was seeing Eric Clapton here in Houston. And so that was a little bit after that, I think. And so I was very, very on all that kind of music classic rock blues all that and the first song once we got past I think the less first lesson or two like you know here's how we're gonna do this and talking about the instrument just like what song do you want to learn I was like cocaine Eric Clapton <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> had, had no idea of the context at the time sure so I come back with these tabs for my guitar student of my yeah. teacher and I go upstairs and I start playing it and my mom's like what song is that? I was like, cocaine Eric Clapton it's a great song. It's like, it is, it is. <laughs> so they, they let me have my fun, but uh, I'm sure they're surprised
0: by it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not something the young kids are, you know, listening to music about drugs and stuff like that. But yeah. I, but I get the love of that. I like, didn't like out you, my
2: dad for showing it to me, but uh, <laughs> that's the only way I probably heard it.
0: Well, and I think you, you're listening to it differently. You were probably listening to it as a young kid and an aspiring guitarist. You weren't listening to it as trying to pick the lyrics apart and make something out of it, right? You were listening a different way. I probably
2: didn't even, yeah, I had zero context for the lyrics. It was probably something I was listening to last, you know? Yes, yes. Uh, Because I was just like, this is Eric Clapton. Where's the guitar solo? I want to hear it. Uh
0: Yep. Now, I have to assume that players like yourself that really take off and learn the guitar quickly and become good quickly, you have to at some point in time outgrow – the teacher like were you ever in that boat where you just felt like I really like this guy but I kind of already know this stuff like and and then you have to find another alternative mm-hmm. for learning more talk talk to the listeners a little bit about when you outgrow and then how do you continue to grow after the teacher so after that year and a half of the shop where my
2: dad dad and I took lessons from the same teacher Pete Pete told my dad, it's like, hey, I, he's doing great. I've kind of showed him where I think, you know, he should be. And maybe the best thing for him to do is go play with some other people. And very grateful for that advice. I was very jamming at that time. My uh, buddy and our now uh, tour manager and uh, all around helpful guy, Kyle Tom Chesson. Uh, I was driving over, or not driving, riding my bike. <laughs> with an amp on, right. on, on like the handlebar or like the, the bar in the middle and then a guitar in my back okay. every day after school and during the summer and going over to his garage because he played drums. And so we would jam guitar and drums, you know, till we were told to <laughs> be quiet. Sure. Sure. And that's how we started with him. We started playing the block parties and everything. And I, I don't know if I recognized it then, but I didn't really feel a moment of like a plateau or where do I go from here? I was just felt that I was growing every time I got to play with other musicians. Yeah. And that's how I've always felt is the live experience is the best teacher, you know, mm-hmm. um, with everything I've done musically. And so I'm thankful that I started cutting my teeth playing out live early sure. on. Like I said, it got me hooked on music and being a, you know, working performer, but also it helped me grow as a player a lot.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think that's the, the deal with anything. If you're a basketball player, you want to, always play with people better than you because you're learning new stuff. If you play with people that are not as good as you, then mediocrity is okay. And that's, you know, everybody wants to progress. And I'm sure the same way with the guitar, you plateau at some point in time with, you know, the teachers, or maybe they're not teaching the style that you want or whatever the case may be. But the more, I've always heard that, the more you play with other players, Mm -hmm. the more you elevate yourself with them right so yeah so that's that's i think that's good advice for anybody don't don't be a closet player and i pick on my son brandon a little bit we just had his 30th birthday in galveston this weekend 20 times the player i am um he's played some shows with me he doesn't like the limelight so he's um you know big stevie ray vaughn guy plays all that stuff note for note but he's just not comfortable in front of the crowd. And I said, you know, Brandon, I think the way you overcome that is by doing it, right? And you get better by doing it. It's all about doing it and repetition, right? You didn't get to be that good of a player, nor did you play by not playing the guitar. You put it in your hands. And even if it sounded like shit, you know, in the beginning, it eventually gets better, right? And you can (laughs) see the progression over time.
2: Oh, yeah. And I mean... To that point, you know, I had already been forming for a little bit, and that's how I was able to meet these players going out to jams. But uh, there was a player in town, um, Carlos Johnson. He went by Congos by Carlos. And he was a regular at the last concert cafe jams. Dan Electro's here in Houston. And so when I met him at a jam, he took me under his wing and, you know, would say, hey, we're jamming here. You should come up. Um, But he taught me a lot of important lessons besides just how to, you know, he wasn't a guitar player. He didn't talk to me how to play my instrument, but how to share the stage, Mm -hmm. you know, when to shut up. (laughs) You know, he'd give me looks like, you know, and uh, and just, you know, how to listen on stage. Oh cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very hugely grateful for that experience, because I think that, um, like you're saying, surrounding yourself by, you know, players that help you grow that are, you know, short terms better than yourself, right? You know, or surround yourself with people like that. And I don't think I would have been inclined to expect a lot from the musicians around me had I not been around great musicians early on.
0: For sure. And that's a great mentor that gives you that kind of advice. I mean, it's one thing to go and play and you you do that well, but if you're saying the wrong things or doing the wrong things or not sharing the stage or what, you know, all Mm -hmm. of the intricacies of being a musician... A lot of people think that a musician is just their job to go up there and play the guitar or sing. But there's a lot of different elements that go into the showmanship, the show, you know, the different elements. And to have that kind of mentorship where he's teaching you those ropes, That that's pretty cool. I mean, it's good to have a guy like that in your corner 100%, without a doubt. Yeah.
2: And looking back, it uh, seems to be unique to a lot of other players' early experience. And so that's why now, sitting here, I, I can – know that it went a long way
0: Absolutely. in helping me grow. Absolutely. Now, do you still, I know you teach, but do you still take guitar lessons?
2: No, most of my studying on the instrument now is breaking down licks or songs that, um, you know, obviously don't know, but that I find challenging. Mm-hmm. Trying stuff outside of your wheelhouse, you yes. know, and as, as a guitarist and anyone that does any kind of a improv, you know, improvisation with their instrument, I just look at every you know little lick. I learn a lot of songs that I would never play in their form live with my group or anything like that, but you know, I might hear one horn line or a guitar line. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And, you know, so I look at all that as a discipline of trying something new. Maybe I grow in a skill, but if it works out and I like it, then it just goes in the toolbox. Yeah, you know? and it's for sure. these little licks and styles or things that you can pull out and employ or not. You know?
0: yeah. Now, I know you took music lessons, as did I. I I grew up uh, learning as a a classical pianist and singing in the choir in school from the 6th grade through the 12th grade. You learn music theory. Like, am I good at sight reading anymore? I mean, I can still read, but I can't. I'm slow, right, is my point. Would you say that you are a theory type of player? Do you understand the... Why a C minor seven fits in with this key versus that key? Or are you a by the ear player? You just I play by ear, by feel.
2: I do know my theory, and I also play by ear a lot. I grew up playing by my ear. I didn't learn theory or reading early on at all. I took uh, about a year and a half of community college to uh, finally figure out if I was gonna student debt. Musician life. You know? <laughs> yes. And so exactly. I also stacked my first uh, semesters with all the jazz theory and I did jazz uh, combo and ensemble classes. Yep. The director there was Wolf Skill and Mark Holter, who we are great teachers. So, I had already educated myself on theory previous to that and I guess funny enough is all that really happened post guitar lessons by years you know Mm -hmm. i played by just ear for a long time i understood a little bit you know like this is the relative you know the six and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and where to play my boxes but um jazz theory was interesting because it was out of my element and that's where i kind of sharpened up on reading notes and uh, chord charts and things of that nature that being said i feel like theory is another thing like licks you know it's a tool you know and they're not laws that you can't break no if it doesn't make sense in theory, but it sounds great, then I'm happy. Yes. You know, I think the biggest positive of knowing theory and the players that I keep in my band and the players I like to play with uh, is that it's a great communication tool. I can just be like, hey, it's the six. Yeah. You know, instead of, uh, you know, it's on this string and this thread. You know, it's <laughs> a little like, bit quick way to get to the right, point, but right. it's uh,
0: not making or breaking what feels right always. Absolutely. And that was not a loaded question at all. Like, I don't ever think that because a musician is not educated in theory that they're a shitty musician. That's not, I don't imply that at all because some of the best players will tell you. And I've spoke to many of them on the show. They're like, I, I mean, I know what a G, you know, a G seven is just because I've learned that over time, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what three notes that are on the guitar. Like they, they don't, they don't have the knowledge to know that that's a, you know, A, B, or C, or D, or whatever, right? They just know that's the shape, and that's what makes it a G7, right? So there's, but but they're some of the best players. So I didn't know kind of where you stood, if you were kind of that hybrid player, like, yeah, I've got a a good bass on the theory, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I'm a feel kind of guy too, you know, an improv kind of guy, right? And there's, I mean, I think if you can meld those two together, that makes a really good musician, but I, I don't think that one's any better or any you know, not better you. than the other especially when it
2: comes to songwriting yeah um because some people just know how to write a song and tell a story and i don't i mean if anybody's trying to overcomplicate the theory process in songwriting sometimes i feel like it's you know kind of chasing the, they want to be more musical because they are interested in that you know sure sometimes less is more but just as a songwriting tool i feel like it's so effective you know
0: well some songwriters are highly skilled and highly advanced players in and of themselves. But I would probably think that there are many really good songwriters out there that have written hit songs that just know some cowboy chords, right? They just know how to write songs. They're mm-hmm. lyricist is yeah. what they are. Right. And, and maybe they need to put that song in Kenny Chesney's hands or, or somebody else's hands to make it a big, a big thing and let them, you know, kind of bend it the way they want to. But, um, At the end of the day, I mean, probably not all of those people are, you know, astute guitarists, like over-the-top flashy guitarists. They're just simple guitarists, right? But they know enough on it to write their songs.
2: They don't have to be, you know? I think it's interesting because you said you came up as a pianist. Mm -hmm. And so you learned theories early on Mm -hmm. in one form or another. And so was that a – was it easier to wrap your head around some things on the guitar because – the theory kind of helped you glue
0: together some fundamentals there were things that helped but the the strange thing for me is the the piano keys are linear mm-hmm. like you see them differently it's wrapping your head around the whole neck and how it how it changes and yeah. it's it's not to me it's not as intuitive no. but they but they say even though the piano is laid out visually more aesthetic than a guitar to me in my mind, they say it's one of the hardest instruments to learn to play. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess I can see that because, you know, you have one hand playing bass lines, you have one, one hand playing, doing something completely different, you know, on the, on the treble side Mm -hmm. of of the keys. But I don't know if really any of the theory carried over to the guitar for me, I'll be the first to admit, and I've said it a million times on this podcast, I'm not a lead player. I don't profess to be a lead player. I'm not a flashy player. Mm -hmm. I'm a vocalist and a rhythm guitar player is what I am. That's my lane. I stay in it. I have Chris Hughes that does magical things uh, with the leads, the fills and all Mm -hmm. that. That's why he's with me because I can't do those things. So, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think the theory portion, the short answers, I don't think the theory carried over to the guitar for me. That kind of stayed with the piano and the, the rest of the, the guitar learning was just the simple cowboy chords. And and of course I played more than three chords, but y- you get my, but point. but more right? the ergonomic part of it. Yes. And that's, I, mean, I asked because I started piano
2: playing more and trying to teach it to myself about two years ago. And I found all the theory I had learned through guitar made piano make so much sense and me wishing i wish i would have done this first in a way yes because it does make sense when you understand some of those wider concepts and being that i'm teaching myself and i don't know the proper way to go about approaching the instrument correct it's uh like i use it for songwriting all the time now because you do have the the bass and the rhythm and then your melody and your harmonies yes it makes a lot of sense with some background but i agree i don't think it would have helped me doing piano and then guitar as well because it's the first part of that journey is so about the physical aspect of it and just getting comfortable with the instrument. Yes. Less so than pressing a button on a piano, you know? Yeah.
0: And I'm I'm going to chat with you a little bit about that in a minute about, okay. you know, the lead play. And so I, I'm not going to steal my thunder, but, but I would have to ask you what, what advice would you give to a person that's specifically wanting to learn to be, that's brand new to playing Like what, somebody that's just picking up a guitar today what what would you tell that person to encourage them or what would you tell them that they should focus on as a very very beginner guitarist
2: it's a brand new beginner it's all about being comfortable with your instrument and you know early on you're going through these it's kind of funny that these shapes we make for these chords you know the open chords these uh first shapes that we learn. G-C's There's nothing season. else you do in life where your hands are yeah. <laughs> you know, moving like that. So, right. of course, it's going to be uncomfortable. And so don't knock yourself down. You know, and, and that's usually the, the advice I'm trying to give to players is don't feel bad if it's not working the first time. And then I try and give them tools to, you know, when I'm not there and you're trying to play this exercise or this something that we're learning first is how to adjust on your own to get the sound that you want, because sure. as soon as they can produce couple chords then you know i immediately trying to get people i'm teaching or or just trying to talk to about music do what will make it fun for you learn a song you like you know absolutely and do it simply you don't have to make it sound like that more advanced players learn a riff that you like yep but learn the whole performance of the song yep learn how that player is navigating supporting the tune when they're not the featured part
0: yes that makes sense I told somebody years ago I had a buddy that was looking to learn to play the guitar and he's like, What advice would you give me? i said, First of all, I'm not a teacher. I never I do not I d I don't I don't want to be a teacher. But I said, What I would do is I would sit in front of the TV and I wouldn't even strum the guitar, but it's about the chord transitions, right? right. Okay, let's let's learn three of the most popular open chords, G, C, and D. Like everybody learns those first, right? Yeah. And I would literally just sit there and just with this hand with the left hand just g c d g c d until i was proficient in changing those and then that's when i felt like okay now i can play now i can start working on the rhythm part mm-hmm. and then i can sing a song along with it whether it's row 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 your boat or whatever the song mm-hmm. is um because that's where i felt like i floundered as a guitarist is i could my fingers knew that I had to go from, you know, this G position to that C position. But even though my head was saying, this is how you do it, those fingers it's never wanted natural, to yeah. do that.
2: <laughs> Your <laughs> like fingers were like, no, mind of their own. wrong. Yeah. We never do this. They <laughs> had a mind of their own. So
0: it's like, if I can just get that transition part down, mm-hmm. I think I've got a big piece of this licked. Like, well, I can move on to the next thing. So that's what I would always tell Anybody that would ask me, like, how did you how did you get to be able to go from that D chord to that A chord or whatever? It's like it's just repetition with anything in life, whether you're yeah. a pitcher, whether you're bowling, whatever. You know, it's mm-hmm. repetition and getting the feel and muscle memory. It's all about muscle memory at the end of the day. What advice would you give to someone that is brand new to wanting to be a lead player? And I'm asking for a friend right? Uh, Because I've never been a lead player.
2: Well, you know, there's all, it depends on, you know, what your options are as far as I think beginning to work on that journey, you know, to someone that is, they can only learn from themselves or what's available on the internet. You know, of course you want to break down a solo and really pay attention to how good players are playing it. That being said, I think the best teacher is kind of like live experience is, you know, if you meet a musician that you respect in your local community, and you're able to go out to their gigs more often and study them in a live environment to where they're making lead calls on the fly a lot of the times, mm-hmm. and just soak that in and have conversations with them. You yeah. know, I think every if you're a player that is proficient in lead and uh, and a nice person, you know, then it's easy to think of a starting point for anybody on lead because I agree with you. Like when you start thinking about the whys being obviously, you know, I mean, you had music theory as a background, so you're like, well, I know there is a why, yeah. but, you know, how does this translate? And I think one reason I'm very uh, grateful that I was so into blues is because I, I had to understand that these blues players are, you know, impro- it's improvisation. Um, and I also understood that they're only playing a couple notes, mm-hmm. you know. So this is a little more specific for the guitar players, but our second box in the pentatonic, you know, that's BB King bread and butter, you know all that stuff. Four notes, if you can get past and not think about the why, and just hear a lick. There's usually space in blues. Try and mimic it. Yeah. If it's not right, try and mimic it the next time. And I spent so much time just playing in that one box and trying to make that feel good. I was like, well, if I can't do it with these four notes, then I don't. I, I'm not ready for the rest of the neck. Is how sure. I sure you know that, that makes sense. Starting
0: small. Well, and I think BB B. King said it years ago. He's like. For me, it's feel. I mean, I just play what I feel like. And, and somebody like me that's not a lead player would say, okay, BB, that sounds really easy, bud. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but I I play by feel, too, but I can't play like you, right? So there's something that, that led him up to where he is today. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, again... We, we go back to the story of repetition and, and learning the basics and then the, they're building blocks. Everything's a building block of one another. Tell me a little bit about the band. Who are, who are the members in the band today, Clay? So we're Texas Trio, you know. Zach Rindle
2: is the longest member he's been with me for about six years. He's drums. He's a great team member. We've written uh, all the last releases together um, as far as arranging the band aspect. And then we have a second Zach now on bass, Zach okay. Cox. I've known him actually since high school, and we were, on a, we were in a band together earlier in the day, and uh, he just happened, he was living back in the area, and we were, we were talking at a friend's wedding, I was like, man, we need a new bass player, and uh like, well, I'm not doing anything, so it, it's worked out great, yeah. we're just trying to get one of them a nickname now. <laughs> I was going to say, like, if
0: one Zach wasn't enough, you had to get two in the yeah, band, right, yeah, so yeah. You, there would be an identity crisis from time to time. Uh, <laughs> where,
2: where did you find these guys again? You know, uh, Zach, our drummer, the one that's been around for six years, um, I met him through Sebastian Cure, who produced my first uh, self-titled release in 2015. And we were recording up there in Austin. We finished it, and I didn't have a permanent drummer at the time. We used uh, Rom Gov on drums for that session. And so I told him I was looking for a drummer, and he called me and and said, hey, I got this friend I've known for a long time. He just got back uh, out of the Army. And he moved to Houston. and He's looking for a band. So I, I still remember where I was walking. This is a while ago now, I guess. But I, I was pacing the backyard, and you were talking. And I said, "You know, who are your influences? Who do you like to play like?" And he listed John Bonham first, and then Taylor Hawkins. Like, oh, this is gonna be fun. Oh yeah. So he's a uh, nine years older than me, and but we've always gotten on great. One of my closest friends now, and so he's just been great drummer and teammate from yeah.
0: Git. Have you ever considered? Going four piece, going five piece like has, does that ever cross clay melton's mind, or is it always like what what's the and is there a significance to being three piece
2: I do enjoy being three uh, three piece for several reasons, the less exciting one being it's so simple I mean bands like having a couple girlfriends right you know yeah. it's, it's an yeah. extra relationship you know yeah. constant communication and scheduling we've had key players come to rehearsals. I know there's been a couple gigs here and there over the years where we tried out some players live, you know, an auxiliary uh, guitarist that sings and plays keys and stuff like that. It's exciting to me. And we incorporate keys in our recordings as well. Mm -hmm. But I yet to I guess we've yet to have the member where I feel like this is us plus some Mm -hmm. to where I I felt like we were maybe lacking in our usual identity, not presenting ourselves that we usually do. It's a challenge, obviously, as a three-piece for a guitar player. You know, you don't have the same foundation. Chords aren't implied whenever you break away for a solo. But that's kind of the charm of, like, how we play together, you know, is where it's all happening right here in the room,
0: you know? That's (laughs) when you have to rely on that bass player to be your rhythm section for you, right?
2: Takes a certain kind of player, yeah.
0: I mean, some of my favorite bands of all time are three-piece bands, and they have the biggest sounds. It's like, where do you guys get this sound from? I mean, I've had some of them... Uh, A band called Zebra from from Louisiana. Randy Jackson and Guy Gelso have both been on my show. Have always been inspired by their music since, you know, 82. Triumph was a huge band. Trio out of Canada. Rush. Trio out of Canada, right? I mean, some of the the greatest bands are three piece bands, and they make a lot of noise, man. I'm telling you, they make a lot of noise. It's pretty, and, and, and you know, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. Be, sounding and feeling large on stage uh, sonically yep. as a three piece, it, it, it's a uh, it's a great feeling. Yep. You know,
0: I agree. So, I wanted to jump in a little bit to discography, and if any of my dates are off, I trust that you'll say. Wrong date, Randy. So uh, you you won't hurt my feelings. But okay. 2017, you had a single that you released called "Secrets." Yes. correct. Now, "Secrets" was off the "Back to Blue" EP, right?
2: Uh, no, "Secrets" was on our first uh, de- debut LP, which came out in 2017 as well. Okay. Burn the ships.
0: Okay, and then you 2017, you released a single called Wind and Wave, right? Yes. Was that off Burn the Ships as well, or was that off? Yes. Of Blue? Okay. Yeah, that
2: one featured uh, Cam Franklin of The Suffers.
0: Okay. And then, of course, 2017, you had Burn the Ships. That was your full-length record, correct? correct? And I believe this record went on to be, like, number five on the Billboard Heat Seekers chart. Yes. Talk a little bit about that
2: yeah it was our first ever uh, chart experience of any kind and uh definitely unexpected um but it was great you know we got an opportunity to see uh some real you know growth uh, after the record and it getting heard in places you know we wouldn't have expected and um we supported that album with a twenty seventeen uh national tour uh all over the states and so I think you know it helped uh, there are people that you know we' at shows in places we'd never been you know
0: yeah would you say that? the song charting opened up a ton of doors or gave you a ton more exposure? Was it a little bit or, you know, what can you say about that? Uh, It didn't hurt. That's for sure. Sure.
2: Um, It didn't change the game. You know, uh, it was an extra calling card for booking, which, you know, we were then and we still are now independently booking. And so press is always great for that kind of stuff. Um, Chart games are weird in general. You know, there's a whole system and all that. It's, you know, tied in with radio, which we, you know, it's a whole game. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it was good for us. Uh, I don't. I think if you get the opportunity to chase, like, if you have a song that's doing well and there's an opportunity to push and get it charted, then I don't see a reason not to pursue it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I was talking, I had Shake Russell here the other night. I'm not sure if you're familiar with who Shake oh, is, yeah. but he's a 50-year Texas legend, right? And he was saying in the interview, which I think will drop, next month my, my days are running together it'll drop next month sometime uh but he was saying that he wrote a song called you've got a lover uh for uh and ricky skaggs recorded the song and he, cool. and he can remember it going from like 30 to 17 to 9 to you know 6 to 2 to 2 to 2 and he's like god dang it you know never got to number one and he said the number one song at that time that kept them out of number one was islands in the stream by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, right? He said, God, I hate that song, but he had two of them that went to number two, but they just could never climb into that, that number one spot. So now burn the ships. This record also received a nod for one of the best albums of 2019 by the Houston press as well. Right. And then, 2018 rolls around you had a single called body map mm-hmm. 2019 a single called pass me by
2: uh, pass you by yes
0: pass you by okay thank you for the clarification uh am I'm, I'm, that was probably it was probably right where i was looking but i was doing 18 things at one time so i, <laughs> <I'm familiar. laughs> I had like yeah, 19 yeah. things on my mind and 2020, you had Say That You Love Me, which was a live recording, right? Correct. And then in 2021, you had the Back to Blue EP. You had a title cut off this effort that literally, I think, set at number one in the world, according to Roots Music, right?
2: Yes, yeah, Back to Blue, uh, and another surprise, you know, yeah. but uh, we uh, did international radio uh, press with that and um, spun that whole album over in the EU and um, internationally before we uh, put it out here, which is a great help. But um, back to blue, it was the blues rock single charts worldwide, and that was another instance where it definitely helped our, you know, okay. calling card and booking.
0: Sure, um, and I guess for the listeners that aren't familiar with with roots music, this is like the number one independent music chart in the world is what I understand of them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they cover the independent market as far as charts. It's all the same, uh, you know, Nielsen sound scan that goes to billboard. Um, they just cover more like blues, blues, rock genres, okay. Americana, AAA radio and all that. Okay.
0: I'm learning something new here. I'm like, I never, I, of course, being that I'm not a professional, a professional musician, I could, I don't care really anything about that for myself. So you I, don't, don't, I, don't, to, I don't, don't do a lot of homework into it, right? It's like, it's not, it's not even relevant in my world, right? Yeah. So, but this album also was number nine in the world. The album was number nine in the world, according to Roots Music, too, which is a pretty huge accolade. You know, we're talking about, we're not talking about Houston anymore. We're talking about the world, mm-hmm. which is pretty phenomenal. And then it was also the number seven album, in texas across all genres that's pretty cool when you can not only chart but you're number seven in in all genres very cool
2: oh i mean texas you know, has always been i mean obviously it's our home home base and it's really was our focus of putting that album out because it was the uh, first thing we put out post pandemic and so we really wanted to do something that you know our region enjoyed mm-hmm. at least and then just happened to really see success far wider than that yeah uh, but it it, it, w- it was very cool yes
0: yeah well i, I think very that cool. the uh the accolades always help and they're always uh great to have so kudos to you on and the band on the accolades thank you um i was wondering i'm, I'm sure we can find a guitar in this house somewhere right <laughs> uh i was wondering if you'd maybe play something off the back to blue ep if you'd be so kind
2: great yeah i'll play um uh, the title track back to blue
0: awesome
3: down on the ground You don't know what else to do Your heart's down on the ground Your lover left you someone new You your lover left you high and dry You don't know what else to do Pour yourself some cheap red wine Put on some Delta blues Unwind oh, your mind back to blue on Delta Blues Unwind your mind If you could just unwind your mind
0: That was uh back to blue off the back to blue record. Clay, It sounded fantastic, man. I, it's, it's nothing like um, a raw guitar, like a raw acoustic guitar. For me, that, there's nothing better than that. Oh, yeah. So I, I enjoyed that, man. Thanks for, for sharing the song. Thanks a lot. Now, are you the primary songwriter in the band or is that a collaborative effort with you guys? Talk to me a little bit about that.
2: Uh, I am the primary songwriter. I always have, you know, a couple songs whenever we're in the writing phase. And even, you know, every, you know, couple rehearsals, even if we're kind of heavily touring or playing, uh, there's always new songs being brought out. But on this last record specifically, the live album we're putting out in June, it was very collaborative. Usually I bring in, you know, The bones of the song. You know, I got verse, choruses, and bridge, and stuff like that, and the lyrics. And then uh, we do arrange as a band, almost always. Uh, I've always loved working early on in tunes just with a drummer myself, which seems limiting, but I write, I think about drums a lot when I write. And me and my drummer communicate very clearly, and he often just plays, you know, the things I was hearing. And um, so I kind of like taking that and thinking about the rhythm um, before I expand the idea too much, but this last album has been very collaborative. Once we get in the room together, as the three piece,
0: yeah. What is the formula for you for songwriting? Does it start with a melody? Does it start with lyrics? Does it start with music? Uh, what, what? And and I and I'm sure that there's <laughs> every time it's not the same. It's different every time, right? But is there something a formula that generally works for you? Like, are you just like? I start with a, a melody in my head, and then I build from there. That's generally how it starts. Talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, you're right. Obviously,
2: it's never the same. Um, that's what makes songwriting, you know, interesting in a journey for myself. I think, uh, you know, it can be anything. It can be a melody or lyric or, you know, a guitar riff. Uh, I definitely primarily write sitting with a guitar. It's usually just something that I start to get obsessed about, whether it's the guitar lick or the melody or, or a lyric. Uh, if it's a lyric, I'm like, oh, that's a cool lyric. I have to get that into something. Yeah. And so I'll try and write around it. I would say, though, over my history of songwriting, maybe, you know, 70 to 80% of the time, it starts with the guitar part, you know? Okay. And then um, I melody to follow, you know? For a long time, and I still kind of come from this position, is being, you know, before I had any kind of recording software, you know? or any way to demo as a kid, you know, whatever I did write what had to be whatever I could do right in the moment. So for a long time, and I think now still, I, I'll write the lyrics and melody and guitar kind of sitting down by myself, you know, and just put a mm-hmm. my voice memos on sure. or something to record it, and then edit from there. Through the years, I have, like, chased down, you know, uh, I'll demo pretty heavily by myself, you know, mm-hmm. and record the record so we can go record it well, you know, yeah, type thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that that can always give a life to a song. Mm-hmm. And that's almost where I have more of a uh, formula, if you will, for just to get going. Because mm-hmm. so I think if you're a songwriter, sometimes that's half the battles, you should just show up for the job, right? Yeah. And so I'll lay down a drum beat and start playing guitar over and just see if something catches, you know, yeah. And if it don't, then try another day. But uh, having any kind of drums has always been a big lift for me because it implies so much, even if it's snare and kick, yeah. You know, on the 2 and 4. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Does songwriting come easy for you or is it a struggle? Or does it sometimes come easy and then other times it's a struggle? Like sometimes you get a writer's block or whatever. Like do you go through that as well or just talk to me a little bit about the songwriting in general because I think a lot of people I've always said you're either a lyricist or you're not. Like, you know, there's no happy, it doesn't seem like there's a happy medium. So I didn't know if it came easy to you mostly or if it was a little more difficult for you? Uh, you know, this kind of is what I was talking about
2: earlier. You know, how kids have no uh, fear of, you know, doing poorly at something new. And so I started writing from a pretty young age as well. And, uh, I know the lyrics weren't good, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I, I felt compelled to do it anyways. Cause it was fun to do. Uh, I was, I've always enjoyed writing once I started doing it probably around like 15 is when I started writing. And, uh, so the journey has always been fun and that skill has grown I was not a born singer at all at all really <laughs> yeah and so it's almost a similar thing where you know I I saw in songwriting same as my vocals the more I did it you know the time spent type thing yeah. but um now the songwriting comes easy because like I said I I expect myself to show up for the job yeah and so just starting you know it doesn't have to be a great song
0: but at least I did something and when it's exciting like I said I get obsessed with it yeah you know well, your tone is really nice, and you know I've I've listened to all your stuff that I could get my hands on at Spotify. Right, you, you can listen to that at nauseam. There's nothing personal about that to me. Mm-hmm. Listening to a digital song on Spotify or Pandora or whatever, but that song took on a whole new life with you standing eight feet from me. Right, mm-hmm. like it it just it it made me listen to the song differently. Uh, I have a new respect for your vocals, and it, it just sounded really nice. I think that that's always resonated with me—the live stuff, right? That's where you know you see the talent. Like you can't see the talent through a Spotify song or whatever, right? It's great. It's cool to turn up in the radio, like you get what where I'm coming from, right? Yeah. But there's nothing like being in front of a live musician mm-hmm. and just hearing the the emotion of the song. Like oh, it yeah. takes on a new meaning of itself. So.
2: It's where you like fall in love with artists is when you see them for the first time. It's Absolutely, like, oh, I get it now. You know, well,
0: what what inspired the song "Back to Blue"?
2: I had, you know, been thinking about what we wanted to do next, and recording-wise, and songwriting, and I kind of had this um, revelation or just like inclination that I wanted to the next thing I wanted to do and to write was stuff that was just, you know, what I gravitate towards when I sit down on the couch and pick up my strat, you know, which is much bluesier than what I had been doing currently at the time, uh, where I was more trying to fit in my roots and, you know, some of my voice as a player on the guitar tucked into more (coughs) pop-sensible songs, uh, stylistically and arrangement-wise. And I just was like, well, I just want to amplify what I'm very excited about, what we're doing in a room, you know, and so let's not try and... Dress up the recording too much, and let's you know, let's make it raw and mm-hmm. rock and roll, sure. and you know, guitar, bass, and drums in a room, and yeah, and see if that comes through. And that it is a challenge, I think, with a three piece specifically. Um, to one, not overdo it in the studio because you, you know, or at least myself, I want like a big sound, um, but stay true to the format of the band, you yes. know, it's so we can deliver what people expect live, and um, also just something in myself wanted to be very honest in the recording process. So it translated to what we do anywhere else. Sure.
0: I think a lot of, a a lot of musicians don't like walls. They don't like boundaries. They don't like boxes. Um, when, When we talk about genres, right. But if I ask you, Clay, what is your band? Right. Would you say you guys are blues? Would you say you're rock? Would you say you're a combination of the two? And what what is the genre of choice for you? Because you cited Jimi Hendrix, Stevie mm-hmm. Ray Vaughan. I mean, you got one rock and roll legend, you got one blues legend, right? But where would you say? What would you say the genre of choice is for you?
2: I'd say we're rock blues rather than blues rock, because so, we are so rock
0: predominantly rock. rock. Okay, yeah, okay.
2: You know, I, yeah, I want the band loud and thrashing. Oh, yeah. You know, and. Um, to hit hard and uh, and do heavy things, but, I mean, there's just really no, like, hiding the blues in a lot of the stuff I do, sure. and I don't want sure. to, you know. Uh, I just, you know, I won't uh, sit here and act like, you know, we are traditional blues mm-hmm. or anything like that, but I'll always, you know, anything that is blues and what we do is, you know, credited to the, in- the influences I had early on and the music that I was, you know, able to listen to and learn from.
0: I think, you know, now that you positioned it that way, maybe that's where the draw was for me with you because it seemed, like you said, rock blues. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't traditional blues. Like there's nothing wrong with blues. I, I love blues, but I'm not going to sit around all day and listen to blues. I can sit around and listen to rock all day long, yeah. right? And maybe that's the draw. Maybe maybe it was just the enough blues for me that I'm like, Okay, I dig this because when you start thinking about artists that kind of cross genres, like you know, you take Kid Rock, this heavy metal guy, mm-hmm. it's rap rock, right? Yeah, it's it's a great hybrid. Like it works. Limp Biscuit was like that, yeah. uh, and and the rock the rock blues. I think you're kind of it's almost like a fusion, if you will, right? Totally, yeah. fusion. Yeah. So no, I, I dig that. Now I was wondering if. You had another song that you might like to share with the listeners, your choice. I don't. I don't have one in mind. I definitely wanted you to do "Back to Blue," but um, I don't know if you had one in mind that you'd like to share. Sure. Yeah, I'll play
2: uh, "Here I Go Again" is the name of the song, and it's going to be on our live album coming up. It's one that I wrote um, last year for the record. Okay. Awesome.
3: Make a mess of everything Dream of love like anyone but a friend Here I go again, here I go again Same song, nothing's changed Another door blocked out before Different frame Oh, oh around it an excuse to tell me what blew day? Um.
0: Now, that was a song called Here I Go Again off the new record. Talk to the listeners a little bit about uh, the new record. I think it's due out this summer sometime, correct?
2: That's right. Uh, It's called Live in Texas. It's coming out June 3rd. And like I was saying earlier, you know, when I wrote Back to Blue, I was in a place where I wanted to um, present the band sonically, just like how we sound in a room. And so wanting to follow that up after Back to Blue for the next album, I was like, well, let's just do it live because that's what we're trying to sure. get through the people right and so we recorded it at, at uh do in the woodlands uh in january this year and we had malcolm harper who also recorded uh say that you love me on back to blue uh he's a five-time grammy award-winning engineer um that records uh jazz fest and the rodeo performances great great cat and awesome to work with and so he recorded the performance and we also shot a um live video for the entire uh, concert so f- this next Friday I guess as of now uh, our first single will be coming out Imaginary Traveler um, but you know writing for that album we had gotten done with our fall performances in 2021 and I had a bunch of songs I had a bunch of ideas but I hadn't really taken stock and I was uh, kind of feeling the heat that all right this new record recording is coming up Let's get them together. Do I have enough songs? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and uh, took stock of my ideas. Like, I have too many. Great. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So we got to work as a band. And like I said earlier, we arranged heavily together on this one. And really over about a month and a half period, the songs that I brought to the band, we prepped for the album. And some of them are a little older. Here I Go Again was an early song and um, got them to the place to where we felt like they were honest representations of the songs that we were proud of to record for the album.
0: Sure. That song sounded really good in this room, too. Um, It it was bouncing off the walls really nice. So for the listeners that weren't here to experience that in the room, you you missed out. But uh, also, you know, going back to Back to Blue, that reached number one worldwide on the blues rock single charts. Yes. Right? Correct. Correct another accolade for for clay melton there right
2: <laughs> that, that was a great feeling all that stuff you know is unexpected because you'd never know what's going to happen when you put out your music sure you
0: know what i mean kind of what goes through your mind when you when you see a song not only chart but go to number one like what what goes through clay melton's mind at that at that point in time
2: i think i remember feeling a pretty big sigh of relief <laughs> that uh you know what we you know you, Bands and artists put so much uh, time, money, emotional effort and everything into, you know, coordinating an album release. And so a sigh of relief that, you know, we're doing something that people enjoyed enough to listen to enough to get to that point um, was really encouraging. I I actually it spurred a big writing phase. um, And I think that kind of helped us get ready for the next record so soon is because I just lack of a better word, it was some validation, you mm-hmm. know, sure. uh, as an artist, um, press is an interesting thing and you can't let that stuff matter too much for you. Cause you're going to get bad ones. You're going to get great ones. Yeah. And you got people at your shows saying you're, you're crazy, you know, either loving you or you're hating you, you know? You and so the radio chart was just different because I knew that it meant people were at least being able to hear and were liking it enough to listen to it again.
0: Absolutely. Now, your song titled uh, "Say That You Love Me" was a live track on the Back to Blue record, and it was recorded at White Oak Music Hall, right? And that was the one that you did with um, the five-time Grammy Award winner Malcolm uh, t- Harper. Yeah, so I, I mean, my understanding of Malcolm Harper, I think he has what real sound audio. Is that is that real sound recording? Okay, company, gotcha. So er- they're out
2: of Buda, Texas.
0: Okay, and then. You know, we mentioned earlier he was a five time Grammy award winner, but I think what was failed to mention was the fact that he's been nominated like fifteen times, right? <laughs> he's won five. <laughs> yeah. and he's been nominated like three times as many times, which is pretty amazing. And then you mentioned earlier um something about the, the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And Malcolm I, I think has been involved in music mixes there for like over 20 years 25 years 26 years something like that right that's
2: right yeah they do all the mixing for the telecast and the recording as well
0: and you know by i was kind of reading into him and i mean he's worked with people like kings of leon uh kenny chesney kid rock i mean the i think the list is pretty extensive of who who this guy's worked with right how did you guys get paired up is he you know, I think you said he's in Buddha, but I mean, how, how did how did you find out about him? How did you get paired up with him? Uh, well, I initially met him at a um,
2: at the Recording Academy at a meeting that he had here in Texas, um, the Grammys, and uh, we got to chat a little bit. And um, through another person on our team, John in Houston, who does uh, a lot of our radio promotion, and um, Uh, other PR here in town had worked with them before and made the introduction and that was the first time we worked with them. Uh, It just happens that after we cut that we cut back to blue with producer Danny Jones Mm -hmm. and they're very very close friends. Okay. And uh, both great people and uh, accomplished as well. Sure. So it's only been great working with both those people. Sure.
0: Well we talked about it earlier you work with the best people you can and you you know, somehow they either pull you up with them or you try to get up and elevate your game.
2: And you play with people or you work with people you like, too. That's a absolutely. Huge oh, thing, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. You can't go into the studio and do things with people that suck and people that you don't like to be around. Mm-hmm. That's Especially big, the road. Yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> no, I get it. You've done shows with some notable artists over the years. You opened the State Fair of Texas with Grand Funk Railroad. Talk to the listeners a little bit about that, because I'm sure that there's listeners on my show We grew up with Grand Funk, right? So talk to me a little bit about that experience.
2: I mean, it was, was, they're legends, you know? (laughs) It was a dream. I mean, yeah, we got to open at the State Fair of Texas um, up in Dallas. And that was this past uh, State Fair as well. And, I mean, they just got out there and rocked it. We watched side stage, and he did a drum solo. That was amazing, you know? And uh, it's always great getting to do, you know, some of these bigger gigs in between, you know, more of our, Road dogs type stuff, you know, where we're playing, where we're playing Mm -hmm. and um, the different production, different size stages and stuff. And everybody, I got to shout out Glenn uh, Smith of Glenn Smith Presents, who's helped us um, out booking at the state fair. And he is always so great to our people, even though we're the openers, you know, and so it's great to come into that bigger environment and be welcomed.
0: Yeah. Well, the openers become closers sometimes, right? So, I think I think as a promoter and whatnot, you, you, you have to keep that in mind, you know. You, you also opened up for a great blues legend, Robert Cray. And I bet that was a treat for you, being, you know, kind of the blues performer that you are, right? I oh, yeah. I mean, I, one.
2: I looked up to Robert Cray growing up, you know, because um, he was playing with some of my favorite players. Yeah, No, it was great. We played, uh, it was an opening slot at the Heights Theater. And... I mean, once again, you know, I mean, for me, just because I'm a music nerd, the best part of those are, like, getting to watch, you know, Them. the acts <laughs> yeah. do their thing yeah. uh, from a different vantage point, um, but it was also a great experience that night specifically because I got a chance to play, this was before we did Back to Blue, and I think the band was doing more of a rock and rock blues oriented sound, and so I got to stretch out on that stuff and mm-hmm. uh, hear, feel, and see it received by, you know people in my hometown that enjoy that kind of stuff
0: yeah I was always a big fan of the uh, Robert Cray's song Smoke and Gun that oh, was yeah. a big one you know I forget when that came out 80s sometime I'm sure but uh, that was a great one for him you opened with Chris Daughtry who was I guess one of my favorite singers uh, back in the American Idol days and yeah. went on to do pretty big things on his own where was that show at with with Chris
2: that was also at the State Fair Okay. <laughs> that was an uh, opening slot at, in 2019. Uh, he's such a nice guy. I got to meet with him a little bit uh, okay. before he went on and just super laid back. And then, you know, two seconds later, he's playing a huge rock show and just, you know, delivering, you know, oh, yeah. so was, uh, one of those people, that he was very even keeled, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I've come across this a lot, you know, uh, a lot of performers are very even keeled until they get on stage, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of like a performer waiting inside. Sometimes, oh, yeah. you
0: know. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a alter ego that comes out with them sometimes. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's their that's their place. Like, where did that come from? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. You recorded a song called "Jesus Just Left Chicago" by ZZ Top. Of all the songs that you could pick to record, why did why did that one come to you? And and the reason I ask that is. I think my third guest on the show was Robin Shane, uh, a, a great artist out of Austin, Texas. Um, and she covered a Blondie song. And I asked her the same question. There's 80 billion songs that we mm-hmm. could cover. Why, why was that one the one for you? Well, ZZ
2: Top was, I mean, obviously just growing up in Texas, you can't grow up in Texas and not hear He has a little bit of sure. ZZ Top somewhere, but uh, you know, I was listening to them intently growing up and, I was always so excited by the transition from Waiting for the Bus into Jesus Left Chicago and thinking about wanting to do, I wanted to do a song that was a cover that uh, had a bluesier angle to it that I thought we could also make our own, but, you know, people would enjoy and recognize. Sure. And we had never covered that song as a band prior to recording it. And I kind of liked that it wasn't a song we already do simply because we got to focus on putting our own edge on it and exploring it for the first time, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't something too rehearsed. Absolutely. It was the last song we cut for the record and I always felt like waiting for the bus, is such a jam, it's very electric. And then, you know, going to Jesus just left Chicago, it, I mean, sonically it's softer, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just always thought we could, you know, rock it up and it'd be a lot of fun and stuff like that. So I wanted to do that and do something that was also like a tribute to my roots
0: as well. Sure. And we mentioned three-piece bands earlier, right? Yeah. <laughs> How do you leave ZZ Top out of exactly. that, right? Um, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I mentioned to you earlier that I was never the blues guy. Mm-hmm. I was at Best Buy one day, and they have this home theater area. And I don't remember. Uh, let's just say that my wife was shopping in there for something, and I'm like, I didn't want to be walking around. And I happened to look over and they had this huge screen, big screen TV, and they had this real nice leather couch sitting right in front of them. I said, this is where I'm going to hang out. And it had a ZZ Top concert playing. It was probably a little bit the comfortable couch, the badass speakers, and the huge screen. But my eyes were opened up to these guys on that day Mm. because I never paid attention to them before. I mean, of course, I knew legs and you know all these songs that were popular right but i never got into ZZ Top mm-hmm. but i sat and watched this concert for probably a good 30 minutes and i said these dudes are fucking players yeah. like they can play like they're not they're i and i think a little bit of it for me was we saw the videos on MTV back mm-hmm. in the day she's got legs and you see there's not a whole lot of playing but it's cars and and scantily clad women which there's nothing wrong with either but what i was watching was a live concert by them and mm-hmm. i could see the bass playing like it was like man these guys are making some yeah. sound so again it was that whole listening to it live and it opens up the doors of the mind to yeah. say wow this is really badass right? it's
2: not just seeing them i think just have their instruments on them and playing the song but it seemed the to- group together absolutely you know and seeing the that cohesiveness they're band, yes they're the real they're tight, deal yes yeah.
0: yes i wanted to give you the opportunity to play another song live your choice it can be the cover it can be whatever you want to play but i want to leave that open for you to decide will you share another song with the listeners yeah of course awesome of
2: course i'm gonna play a song called louisiana 1927 originally written by uh, randy newman and this song uh, talks about the people of Louisiana and, you know, uh, how they go through those natural disasters and hard times and come together and stay strong and help each other out.
3: What's happened down here the so winds don't change Clouds rolled in from the north, started to rain. It rained real hard, it rained for a real long time. Six feet of water, the streets of Angeline. River rolls all day, river rolls all night. Some people got lost in the flood Some people got away all right mm-hmm. River that busted through mm-hmm. Cleared down Plaquemine Six feet of water the streets of Angeline yeah. Louisiana Louisiana They try us away. We try and wash us away. Louisiana, oh, 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 Louisiana. They're trying to wash us away. We try and wash us away. We try and wash us away.
0: So you mentioned before you started playing that that that's a a song by Randy Newman and and I started thinking is this the same Randy Newman that wrote the hit song Short People and it, and it is mm-hmm. like and, and I didn't realize that that Randy had ties to uh, I mean there's deep ties to uh New Orleans uh for him and uh I mean he is He's a very prolific songwriter and a very revered songwriter. And uh, I, I don't know if a lot of people know that or not, but how did you find out about Randy Newman? And, and how did that, I mean, there there was all kinds of Cajun reference through that song, right? Oh, yeah. So talk to the listeners a little bit about how you came to know about Randy Newman and then the song.
2: You know, I, Randy Newman as an artist, I've I've heard throughout my life, and I'll be honest with you, even though I respect him as a songwriter, I'm not as familiar with his discography. That being said, I have listened to that album. That that song is on Good Old Boys, which came out in the 70s quite a few times. It's a beautifully arranged album. I found out that about that specific song uh, from listening to Aaron Neville's record Warm mm-hmm. Your Heart, which came out in 91. Okay, And he did a version of that song. It actually, it's the um, opening track of the album. And his version moved me so much that I, was, I you know I immediately learned it and then I was like what's up with the song you know Waddy write and then I found out it was a cover okay and uh so I've just you know been just drawn to that tune ever since I heard it and love performing it yeah
0: well I thought it was kind of interesting that you picked a song by Randy Newman Randy Newman's really not known for the guitar he's more of a pianist so um I mean, any, any song can be tied to any instrument, there's no doubt, but it was interesting that you picked that one and, and something by Randy Newman. And, and I've done covers of piano players on the guitar, like I do several Elton John songs, yeah, you yeah. know, and sometimes, so, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they translate really well to the acoustic and then sometimes not so much, right? Yeah. As you well know, I mean, some songs just can't Daddy, translate to the acoustic, right? They just don't <laughs> work. Yeah. I wanted to talk shortly about maybe a little guitar talk Cool. Um what is the go-to guitar for you or is there such a thing you're you're out on the road you're playing shows is there a go-to guitar for you
2: Oh yeah it's my number one uh if i if you see me playing another guitar it's probably cuz i broke a string <laughs> <laughs> But uh no i play a uh 20 um actually 2000s um era stratocaster and it's a american deluxe when they now call that something else. I think the professional, um, but it's got Texas Specials pickups in the neck in the middle, and then a uh, pearly gates, which is a Billy Gibbons thing, a Seymour Duncan stacked single coil humbucker in the bridge. So I'm playing that almost all the time. It's okay. one of my. It's the very first fender I had that I got when I was younger, and uh, it just feels like home to me. You know, sure. I don't love every strat I've ever picked up, but I feel like that's all guitars. You know, they all got you know, different feels and attitudes, even the same mix, Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm not playing that though. I usually am playing a Fender, a Telecaster or something of the sort.
0: You say, if you weren't playing that, you probably busted a string. Is it safe to say that you, do you play in different tunings on stage or do you not?
2: I don't, I do play in E flat. (laughs) Okay. You're, you're, you're tuned to
0: half step down is that right half yeah, down. Half sec- yeah that's, that's right. same same for me
2: yeah and so for people that aren't guitar players out there it's just it brings a little less tension to my strings and uh, it fits my voice a little bit better yeah. as well um for sure you know i mean i think i started doing it just because i wanted to play along to steve Vaughn recordings which he tunes down as well yeah so i just stayed there and kind of learned how to sing to to that kind of setup um but i play a little bit thicker strings so it's easier and i like that but i don't change tuning song to song okay um, there's songs that I've cut in standard, but we just do in half-step. Yeah. Well, technically, that's
0: standard tuning, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> if exactly. you don't want to get too technical, right? <laughs> I mean, you're still, yeah, yeah. I, when I say uh, alternate tunings, I'm talking about open G, open mm-hmm. C, drop D, kind of, you know, those types of tunings. I keep right? some
2: guitars in those tunings at home. I yep. have a little resonator that I like to play in open G, but it's not a go-to for me live, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you, what, I had a, a Randy Jackson from Zebra on my show, and I was telling him in the interview, I said, "There, you know how many times I was trying to play Who's Behind the Door uh, from your debut album? And I'm like, I could never get it to sound like you were playing it and I didn't find out till years later that he was playing in an open G tuning. Like uh, I'm yeah. in standard trying to play the same thing. And it's virtually impossible yeah, to do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so why could, you know, why did I learn this like years ago? So, uh, but, but I think, you know, for, for guys like that, or, you know, the Keith Richards of the world, you know, open tunings are very uh, prominent for mm-hmm. those guys. And they have, you know five or six guitars on stage, and one's open see it's kind of like a harmonica right they're all in different oh, keys, yeah. <laughs> so they just they come prepared what so you talked about telly? Are you a big telly player or not so much
2: i uh, I love my telecaster. I just have the one, and it was I bought it used and it was in terrible condition in this guy's garage in Texas, so you know humid sure, and just uh not in great condition, all rested up, sold it to me for nothing. And I just thought it was a regular made in Mexico telecaster. It's blonde. Um, you know, maple fretboard. And then I got it home and looked on the back and there's a sixtieth anniversary emblem on it. I was like, Oh, this is a pressure one. And so I kept it and fixed it up and got it playing and I actually twenty seventeen, that was my main guitar. So I do like it. It's just nothing handles like a Stratocaster to me and mm-hmm telecaster ergonomically i dislike the pickup selector switch going sideways yeah because there's no other reason i really move my hand like
0: that when i'm playing guitar so yeah. it's never made sense it's interesting that you say that i was uh when i was waiting for you to show up i, I picked up my telecaster and i was playing around on it and in the way again being a rhythm guitarist mm-hmm. right that strumming rhythm and if you look at all my tailors in there, when we when we go into my studio, you'll see where I'm starting to wear a hole in all of them where my fingers hit yeah. right below the pick guard, right? And there's something about that damn knob being there on that Telecaster that if I played that in my shows, it would drive me bananas because I would hit that thing 7,000 times mm-hmm. during the show. Like, it's like, really? Did it have to be right there? I can't tell I you. I love if, the guitar, but exactly. that, that the placement for that just weirds me out a little bit.
2: I can't tell you how many times I've been playing that guitar live. And go to move the pickup selector, but doing a quick fashion fashion, and it's so close to the very smooth roll volume knob. And it yes. just knocks my volume down. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> like you stop yeah, hearing
0: yourself yeah, in your yeah. in your <laughs> mo- in ears and whatnot. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's not like the strap with the volume. Uh, numbers on the side of the, t- the knobs, so it's Correct. it's not uh, obvious. But um, I mean, that's a really small thing to it, complain about. It's a yeah. great sounding guitar,
0: but it's the little things that will will cause some players to not play a certain brand. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you know, I mean, we're we're picking on Fender a little bit here, not really picking on them, but I mean, it could be any manufacturer. But it's that intricacy yeah. that it, it doesn't feel right for you in the way you play. I mean, you have to. And a lot of people, I think um, don't realize they, they think the way to buy a guitar is to go look at an aesthetically pleasing guitar. Ooh, I like that color. But they're not buying it for the way they play. are yeah. you Are you a finger picker? Are you a do you dig into it? Um, you know, if you, if you're digging into it, you know you probably want a jumbo body guitar. If you're a finger style picker, you want a smaller body, like an auditorium. Mm-hmm because it takes less to get the top to move on the guitar. right? But a lot of people don't know the intricacies of buying a guitar. So it's those little things like the knob and mm-hmm. that, that will cause guys like you and I to stay away from certain guitars just because of that and our playing style.
2: I really appreciate a player that picks up my guitar and is like, oh, the frets are a little tall. I'm like, you know what you like. You know? yeah, <laughs> I think that that's people that care about the instruments that they're playing. And I mean, honestly, these days you'll rarely see me pick up or buy, a, um, not pick up, but purchase a um, new guitar um, simply because I have what I need. So if I'm looking at new instru- or at a, acquiring a new instrument, then, you know, it doesn't need to be um, really that ex- as aesthetically pleasing like we are sure. talking about. It's, it's all about feel. And I don't trust ordering from the factory Yeah. because of, you know. You, you can get the same model, you know, made in the same time, yeah, you know, and exactly. it can be greatly different, you know? Yep. And so I love finding, you know, older guitars with some character. Well, you can take a guitar that maybe um, aesthetically looks, you know, poor or has for decades, you know, older guitars that the, the wood has been aging, but it's been kept in terrible conditions. Sure. You know, but you really can put in love to a guitar <laughs> I've seen. Oh, yeah. And it come back to life, you know? Yep. And it's almost seem I was talking about this with our bass players Zach Cox the other day. He was making a point on a deeper level that if you s- sit with a guitar that needs work, you put the work in, but you really sit with it and like, you know, give it some
0: TLC and mm-hmm. some love that, sure.
2: you know, it'll turn itself around. And yeah. I, I totally agree with him. Yeah, you know? sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How about string of choice? Do you have a string of choice? Oh, for, for, let's say for the electric. Sure. Yeah. I'd usually go to Um,
2: I do like their NYXLs, though they're pricier, but they seem to last me longer gig to gig. Uh, I did a run last weekend using the Telecaster uh, primarily because my band, the three-piece, was the core band for a country artist, Josh Langston, okay. who's based uh, in College Station. And um, those strings lasted me the entire weekend and never felt like they were losing tone or anything. Okay. Yeah.
0: Uncoated string? Uh, yes, yes. It's, it's interesting. I've often said that strings are like your favorite beer or your favorite cigarette. It's like one, once you start playing the guitar, it's almost like the string you start with is kind of the string you love forever. Like if you smoke a Marlboro for the first time as a kid, and you become a smoker, you're a marble smoker the rest of your life. Like you don't go to camel, you don't you know yeah, what yeah. I'm saying? And and I only say that because I've been an elixir player forever. That's a coded string. Yeah. And I had a good buddy who's a phenomenal guitarist, far like solar systems better than I am. He's like, dude, you gotta try the uncoated Diodarios. I put them on there and I couldn't stand them because like, it's a different feel. <laughs> Again, course, it's a yeah. feel thing. You and know, we talk about you used to. Absolutely. Liked, yeah. Now, are they great? I, I'm not saying they're not a great string. They weren't for me. I just didn't like the feel of them. Yeah. Right. But for him, I mean, he tears that guitar. He shreds that guitar to me. It was kind of a slight, like I didn't feel like my, my fingers slid on them. You know, that was the thing for okay. me. But anyway, you know, I, I think that, um, elixir is worked because I, I'm, primarily a a Taylor guitar player and that's kind of the de facto string that you know that that come on those guitars so I just kind of stayed with that over time talk to the listeners a little bit about pedals like what what do you use for pedals are you an individual pedal guy are you a pod guy like what talk to us a little bit about that
2: I've definitely experimented throughout the years you know I mean as a lot of guitarists that come up uh, into the music that I was into blues and classic rock and Stevie Ray, and Jimmy, you know, uh, my first inclination, let me get a wall, let me get a <laughs> tube sure. screamer, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, nowadays, I'm still plugging my Fender into a Fender amp. Uh, they take pedals great, and I just like a little bit of drive to kind of open up the amp and give me a little more saturation and character in my tone. So I'm doing a very light overdrive. I'm using the JHS Morning Glory. And then a Vertex pedal that's kind of like a Dumble circuitry, um, it's what it's going for, and that's an always-on pedal for me. It's barely any gain, just gives me a little, wakes up the amp a little bit, especially for my single coils. So okay. I'm a couple drives, and overdrive,
0: delay, and reverb. Interesting. Okay. And then talk to the listeners a little bit about what's coming up for Clay Melton. Shows, records, I mean, we we talked a little bit about it earlier. Talk to us about that.
2: Cool. Yeah. Right now, uh, we're prepping basically for this summer season because we are putting out our first single here in April, Imaginary Traveler, which will be the lead single off of Live Live in Texas, our live album that's coming out June 3rd. And we're going to be supporting that with a summer tour as well as a release show at Heights Theater here in Houston on 19th Street, June 3rd.
0: Okay. And where can the listeners find you and the boys on social media?
2: On social media, it's all at Clay Melton Music. That's M-E-L-T-O-N. And uh, online, if you want anything else, booking tickets, all that stuff, it's ClayMelton.com.
0: Awesome. And a couple of quick fire questions for you. And uh, if you want to expand on any of them, you can, but these can be single answers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, acoustic or Electric. Electric if you were going to buy a new guitar tomorrow, what would it be?
2: Something old and something that makes me want to write a new song on it. Short, short answer behind that. I just last week bought a 1930s harmony parlor guitar. Okay. Very similar to the style that you see in pictures with Robert Johnson, even though he played a Gibson, mm-hmm. uh, it's a archback arch, um, arch top and arch back as well. Uh, and it, I picked it up in Colorado when I was there a couple of weeks ago and immediately felt inspired and wanted to, you know, it made me start playing a little differently and it made me want to just start writing songs. And so if I could get a new guitar, it's something that's inspiring, whatever yeah, it is.
0: Sure. That's cool that just touching an instrument can make you feel a certain way. It's you crazy know, that I can feel like that immediately. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I, and I think that if you're uh, for the, for the non musician, I mean, there's music lovers, but then there's musicians for the music lover i'm speaking to they'll never get that they don't understand how you can just touch a guitar and just feel a certain way or be inspired one way or another by it so yeah i mean you said you said it best like you know i just put that guitar in my hands and i immediately thought oh i play it a little bit this way because that's what inspired you to do that
2: yeah i could bs on why maybe felt like that to me you know but uh the cool thing is that I can't put my finger on it, you know.
0: Yeah. And and I don't think I don't think that what difference does it make? I mean, you, exactly. you just Yeah, exactly. You don't have to try to pick it apart in your brain. It just you just go with it, right? Mm. You you ride the wave, so to speak. If you had a choice, where would you like to live?
2: Definitely bucket list to have a place in New Orleans. I've always loved spending time there. Definitely feel uh feels like my kind of people yeah. like, and it, they are my people you know yeah. i love the cajun culture um it's very no matter who you are it's person to person you absolutely know? down to earth great food uh there and then you know i'm i'm mountains over beach yeah, so yeah. i'd like to you know as a I'm musician like i don't see myself having you know mansions everywhere i just you know with like a apartment to drop my stuff in and yeah check out the place i love you know
0: no i get it and if my wife was down here she'd give you a hug for saying that but <laughs> she's from uh She's from uh, the Metairie-Harahan oh, area yeah. in, in New Orleans, and uh, a lot of her family is there. And, um, you know, some of them is, have, have moved on to, you know, different areas of Mississippi. You know, a lot of the bad weather over the years that forced people to move out of Louisiana. What mm-hmm. You know, what a tragedy that state has had. You know, some of the best people in the world, but if there's a hurricane coming in it will find louisiana every time you know oh, it's wow. the, it's fucking amazing how that it's like a magnet it's like a magnet and uh so so her family has you know summer and kim summer in um bay st louis i mean i think they're kind of scattered around but uh new orleans has always been very near and dear to her heart for sure um do you have a favorite song to play live
2: Of our own or uh, just in general?
0: I would say any song, and I always preface this by saying, that's like saying which of your kids are your favorite. Like, (laughs) you you know what I'm saying? It's like calling two of your babies ugly and the other one pretty. Like, this is my favorite kid. But I didn't know if, you know, because I have certain songs that I play in my shows, when I get to them, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just like playing that song. And it seems to resonate, you know, I don't know what it's a different vibe in every, every place, but I didn't know if you had like one that just kind of, you always can't wait to get to that one in the, in the show because it's a crowd pleaser or whatever the the case may be. Right.
2: I mean, definitely there's, uh, definitely songs where if we're having to make a, you know, a decision on the fly about time, like we have to cut some songs Mm -hmm. and then everybody's like, well, we're not cutting that one, (laughs) you know? So I, I, lately, and it's a newer song of ours, which, you know, is it's, it's <laughs> not an even matchup. You know, there's some songs that I wrote a long time ago that I still love to play, but, you know, you're always excited about your new material. We had one of those instances uh, recently at a show where we had to, um, you know, drop a few tunes, and we were considering what to keep, and this song's called Devil Don't, and it's a, it's a six, eight blues with, like, a rock hook, and it's just satisfying to play. People seem to enjoy it, and... It it just one that I wouldn't leave off the set. Sure, yeah. yeah.
0: Is it one that's incorporated every in every show that you play regardless? Since we
2: brought it in, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's not getting cut. Cool. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's cool. And I guess for, you know, a lot of musicians, they'll go into a room and they'll just kind of, they'll kind of feel the vibe of the room mm-hmm. and wing it. I write set lists depending on kind of how I'm feeling during the day. Yeah. And hopefully the crowds get into what I'm bringing to them for you guys is set list prepared before each show or do you, do you wing it through the show? Talk, talk to the listeners just a little bit about that.
2: You know, it depends on the show, what type of show it is. You know, when we're on the road, we'll change up our set list night to night to uh, keep ourselves interested and you know, coming off of what we felt did well or Mm -hmm. didn't do well the night before. Um, But as a practice, I think this comes back to, you know, maneuvering as a three piece is. I've always tried to avoid being too jam bandy in a way that gets boring as far as like, you know, we have these songs where we could open them up and mm-hmm. we we I guess we are a jam band with arrangements that keep moving forward. OK, um, so there's a lot of songs where we play them, play the heart of the song you know, dead on every time. And then we have sections where we open up and who knows what's going to happen, but we know we're getting out of it, you know, at X bar. Um, And that way it keeps it interesting to where we get to stretch out on those tunes every Mm -hmm. time we play them. Yeah. And then also, you know, keep the show moving forward and not, you know, get lost in something. So I usually do generate a set list because I love to, you know, work through tight transitions for our show and sure, um, basically keep it organic, but keep it tight.
0: Yep. Now for the casual, casual listener, when you say we open up as a band, okay, I know what you're talking about, but, but, but tell the listeners what you're, what you're talking about there. Sure. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
2: Opening it up as far as, you know, we get to the solo section and then, you know, we kind of look at each other and we're like, all right, we're going to do this as long as it feels good. We know the, the, um, kind of lick, out usually works out to where one of us does a lick, and that's kind of the signifier for us to start moving back towards maybe a part that we sing or just to get out of the tune. Sure. But we um, take this section of the song that is usually instrumental and say anything can happen for X amount of time, then we're back out.
0: Yep. And I think the word to use for that is improvising, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a feel thing. I mean, and for musicians, they know, okay, we're in the key of E, mm-hmm. and... If you're if you're a halfway decent musician, you know the, the the building block chords in the key of E. So the person that's soloing can just go and do what he feels um, in the key of E, and then at some point in time, you know, you circle back and you're you know you're you're back into the song again. So it's it's a it's a way that um, you know, especially if you have some time to kill, right? That's good to open up a little <laughs> no, uh, bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> Clay, uh, it's been a treat to have you here. I appreciate you being here. Appreciate the stories. I'm sure the listeners will enjoy the stories of the songs. Uh, I, you know, I asked them to support you and the band when when you guys are in their areas. You know, the the songs again sounded uh, phenomenal here in the room. So again, thanks for coming by and, and sharing some time with me.
2: I appreciate you having me on. Had a great time.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, As always, I ask the listeners to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, don't forget to follow Clay on all his social media platforms, including claymelton.com, C-L-A-Y-M-E-L-T-O-N.com. I want to thank you guys again. And as a reminder, you can follow the show on Facebook at Backstage Pass Radio Podcast, on Instagram at Backstage Pass Radio twitter at backstage pass pc and on the website at BackstagePassRadio.com. you guys stay safe and healthy and thank you again for tuning in to backstage pass radio and we'll see you soon
1: thanks so much for joining us we hope you enjoyed today's episode of backstage pass radio make sure to follow randy on facebook and instagram at randy halsey music and on twitter at r halsey music Also, make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on alerts for upcoming podcasts. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to share the link with a friend and tell them Backstage Pass Radio is the best show on the web for everything music. We'll see you next time right here on Backstage Pass Radio.